Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Retronauts at Too Many Games. Ray Barnhold, I'll be hosting this evening, and with me are, of course, the core gentlemen of Retronauts, Bob Mackey. Hi. We're sharing a mic. And Jeremy Parrish. Hello. All right. Nice round of applause. Thank you. This place is a bit cozier than the other ones we've been to, other cons, but this is our first uh, East Coast presentation of our new sort of incarnation, so thanks everybody, first of all, of course, for backing us over the past year. It's good to be here. And uh, I thought I would do something a bit different today, so I've actually prepared a presentation a PowerPoint, if you will, technically a keynote on Apple. Thank you, Steve Jobs. It is called Life and Times of the 3DO. And, you know, uh, with this being a retro video game show, you know, we always talk about things that uh, were beloved to all of us and all of you, but sometimes, you know, we say something that may be construed as a bit harsh. People get upset. We have to spend some time explaining ourselves. But, you know, what? Screw it. Let's talk about the 3DO, because everybody hates the 3DO, right? Right. I'm actually indifferent to the 3DO. Does that count? Yes, it counts. You're a hater. I just like guys named Trip. All right. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm kidding, really, because you know the, the story of the 3DO is really not all about failure. It's actually you know kind of an interesting piece of video game history with a lot of different stuff of the business with a lot of different things that were barely repeated today in the business or not at all or things that we just you know haven't even seen yet in the future for good and bad. But the 3DO was mired in a bunch of, you know, 90s crap, basically. And by that, I mean specifically multimedia, the whole multimedia craze of having to, not having to, but that whole desire to intersect games and movies and then add all these different formats and media right. stuff. I, I can't imagine anyone launching a console and focusing primarily on non-game things right. in a day and age like today. You're alluding to my joke later. <laughs> I mean, I say it's an intersection. It was really more of like a rindy, rusty grinding up of the gears, and it just didn't really work. I mean, and, you know, nowadays our big format question is, you know, is that on Netflix yet? That's what I mean when the 3DO is kind of, you know, caught up in all this different stuff. And so let's talk about it. And, uh, again, this is a presentation, but uh, Jeremy and Bob are welcome to uh, chime in whenever they can because I'm trying to make this as best of a <laughs> normal Retronauts episode as possible. Yes. Oh, I have nothing to say. Confirmed? I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the next point. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So. I will be sure to interrupt whenever possible. Great. That's what I want. Okay. So there's two origin points of the 3DO story that how I, as how I see it. It's really three people. First of all, it's Trip Hawkins, and the second point being uh, R.J. Michael and Dave Needle. So, let's start with Trip Hawkins. You all know Trip Hawkins, right? Founded EA, worked at Apple for a little bit before that. Uh, he uh, left EA in 1991 to start the 3DO company. Was was this photo taken in his murder shed? This, <laughs> He's looking a little mafia there. Yeah. It's kind of scary. That, w that was the AP wire caption. Trip Hawkins in his murder shed. Is his real name Leatherface? Yes. Trip is a little too uh, <laughs> suspicious. It's a, it's a recent photo, so I mean, you know... Age, age does things to people. I'm not going to really criticize him one way or another. But anyway, Trip Hawkins, he's been around. He's, I mean, even after 3DO, he's just been sort of on the periphery of the tech industry for years and years. And, uh, of course, he's also a computer genius. But uh, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Anyway, 
The second origin point is, is this pair of R.J. Michael and Dave Needle. Uh, these guys were the hardware engineers that Trip Hawkins got for this 3DO project because he started the 3DO company. He wanted to basically develop this new paradigm in interactive entertainment is how we, how we would put it in the 90s. And so these guys, you know, they've, they've been around too. I mean, they were key figures in the design of the Amiga platform. In fact, this photo is with them with the rest of the Amiga design team. And, uh, they also, after that, went on to develop uh, the, uh, Epic's Handy handheld system, which would go on to be the Atari Lynx. So these guys both know a thing or two about making platforms that were ahead of the curve at the, at their times, but also they know about being extreme underdogs. And so, also really, really expensive. Yeah. That seems to be kind of a running theme in the, the, the hardware these guys work yeah. on. So I guess somehow it seemed like a natural fit for Trip Hawkins. So God bless him. Anyway. And so after a couple of years, they were developing this system. And here's just the specs in a nutshell for the 3DO system. You had a 32-bit ARM RISC CPU, two graphics coprocessors uh, running at Ooh, excuse me, a maximum resolution of 640 by 480, which in itself is kind of a big deal because this is like one of the earliest 32-bit systems. And what you had at the time is, you know, something that was actually running at like full television resolution. You know, that's kind of a big deal at the time, especially when so many of the other 16-bit consoles were just like, you know, 240p as we call it now. Yeah, the 3DO is what, 1993? Yeah, released in 93. Yeah, so, so to, to put things in perspective, in 1993, I bought a very, very expensive Macintosh which had, I think, a 25 megahertz processor. This had a 12 megahertz processor, but it yeah. was a RISC chip, so that was equivalent to a 25 megahertz processor. Yeah. So as a computer, like my, my Mac couldn't even do 640 by 40 resolution. So this was actually a really, really powerful <laughs> piece of kit for a, a, a relatively reasonable price as a computer, but as a, relatively. as a console, it was... Capital R, relatively. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, the resolution itself is a big deal. And then, of course, supported CD-ROM. Not the first CD-ROM-based system, but one of the earlier ones, of course. Supported CD plus G graphics for your karaoke parties. Uh, photo CDs from Kodak, which I guess they tried to make a big thing in the 90s. I don't know anyone who has a stack of photo CDs in their closet or anything. Uh, but, uh, hey, native support right there. Go look at your JPEGs. I, I think Walgreens will still make those for you if, oh, you, yeah, I, if yeah. you go over there. I don't doubt that, yeah. I bet there were a lot of Woodstock 94 photo CDs. <laughs> yeah. You know, hippies were often on the edge of technology. I'm sure some of them bought a 3DO. Silicon Valley uh, boys as well. And, of course, there was also two expansion ports. There was lots of different plans, like so many other consoles. They were planning all sorts of network stuff that didn't really come to fruition. And, of course, the controller, five-button daisy chain controller. Uh, as for the design of the controller itself, it's kind of like... If the Super Nintendo Genesis finally made up after like years of sexual tension, this is what it birthed. <laughs> so you have three three face buttons like on the Genesis, two shoulder buttons like in Super NES, and uh, not not a bad controller design on itself. And then of course there was the Daisy Chain system, where every controller had a controller port on it, and and every 3DO console only had one port on its front. So the ingenious idea there was to just Daisy Chain controllers for any multiplayer stuff. Uh I was playing with it on the show floor, and I noticed that the start button is play and pause, and the select button is stop. It's sort of like yeah. reinforcing that multimedia machine yeah. I idea. Mean, even like that functionality was sort of brought over to the PlayStation as well. You know? Yeah, I was going to say that that metaphor and other, showed yeah. up on the PlayStation system. Yeah, so I mean, they kind of, I don't know about invented a standard, but I mean, they, that's something that a lot of controllers do now, even today. So yeah. And so 
the big idea that Trip had for 3DO was to license 3DO as a format to other companies. You know, sort of like you know, every other media format out there: VHS for movies, CDs for music, et cetera, et cetera. We all know that. Trip, for some reason, likes to liken it to the Dolby standard. I guess he was a big fan of hi-fi's, but uh, yeah, pretty easy to understand. So they would get the license to 3DO technology. And these other companies would go ahead and manufacture their own 3DO consoles, or multiplayers, as the official term was. And then the 3DO company, in turn, their way to make money was just kind of like, uh, on top of that licensing out that technology, was to make money on the software certification. You could sign up and make a 3DO game, and you have to go through the 3DO company if you wanted. And then, as naturally, uh, because of the CD-ROM format, there was a cheaper manufacturing cost in general. So a lot of people were getting drawn to the whole format because of that. And um, like I said, there was a lot of thinking ahead with network expandability that, I mean, didn't really happen. We'll talk about that in a bit. But generally, the point was to make an all-in-one multimedia device made by a bunch of different people. So ah. has, has that licensing model ever been duplicated? Did, did Apple do something similar, or Bandai or whoever, with the Pippin? Or? Kind of. Not, not really to this degree. I mean, right. we haven't really seen this before. And I mean, not... Afterwards, there was the Nuon, and like there was a couple companies making different Nuon-based DVD players. So that's similar I mean, I guess there was maybe a little bit of precedent for this if you look at the Japanese market for, like, the, the Famicom, uh, right. where they would license it out to, you know, things like the um, the Famicom Duo. And uh, I know there have been a, a few platforms like that, but, yeah, definitely not as, like, the central uh, right. licensing model for the system. Yeah. I mean, in the Famicom's case, Sharp licensed a lot of stuff. In fact, they have the Sharp NES TV out there in the arcade that you can look at. So that's pretty cool. So, yeah. So, yeah, not to this scale. Definitely not. You know, all-in-one entertainment. I feel like I've heard that before somewhere. Anyway, they had these manufacturers making these systems, and, uh, you know, they got some pretty good names. I mean, Trip wasn't going to get Sony for obvious reasons, but Panasonic was a big Japanese electronics brand, and so was Sanyo to a degree. Um, Panasonic, though, was the first and most loyal 3DO manufacturer. I think that's why a lot of people just sort of equated Panasonic with the 3DO. I mean, everybody just calls it the Panasonic 3DO as if they were the only ones who made it. Not quite true, but they did do a lot of uh, good work in trying to get the platform out there and help people. So there were two main models of the 3DO. The one pictured, the FZ, uh, FZ1, and then the uh, later the FZ10, which was just basically a slimmer model. Uh, much nicer looking, I would say. It's the one to get if you're looking for a 3DO to buy. Uh, Panasonic also made a 3DO Robo, which was the hotel disc-changing 3DO. I guess if you were ever in a hotel in Japan in 1994, you may have seen it. <laughs> and, of course, Panasonic would then later, their parent company would end up taking on the M2, the 3DO successor, and pretty much be the only company doing that. Uh, of course, there was also Sanyo, another Japanese company. They made a couple of models. And then Goldstar from South Korea, who we, laid, who we now know as LG, uh, they also made a couple of uh, 3DO models. One of them was released here. Another one was uh, Korea exclusive, I believe. Uh, that wasn't. I, I, I don't know if that really helped out 3DO in the long run. I mean, Gold Star was kind of being dinged as sort of you know one of the uh, hallmarks of cheap electronics <laughs> back when South Korean electronics were not quite as uh, well respected. But then there was also like other splinter things in the 3DO universe. There was Creative Labs made the 3DO Blaster which was a PC card that basically let you play 3DO games through your CD-ROM drive. And so they technically did make their own 3DO that way. And that's a cool thing. That's something else that you would never see today, for sure. I mean, I think afterwards, like, Sega would port some Saturn games to PC, but they would tell you to get, like, a Power VR card to go with it. So not quite the same thing. But this, I mean, the Creative Labs 3DO Blaster, very, very, very curious thing. Like that. Um, some other companies were going to make 3DOs but didn't. AT&T was going to make one. I think uh, back when they were just trying to get in their hands on all sorts of 
uh, interactive networking stuff that, again, did not pan out at all. So here's something that a lot of people don't really think of when they think of 3DO because it's been so uh, widely maligned these days. But I think this is pretty cool. There was an IPO for the 3DO company months before the system came out, and people were hyped for it. People don't really don't remember this. I mean, sure. Now again, like I said, 3DO ended up as a laughing stock, but I mean, there this was the hype was real, and people were expecting big things from Trip Hawkins. Because, you know, he knew how to pitch a vision. He was a pretty accomplished businessman for the most part. And, you know, if the founder of EA is going to come up and say, hey, I'm coming up with a brand new video game paradigm. What do you think about that? People are going to take up, take notice. Um, so the 3DO company, founded in September 91, console announced January 1993. The IPO was in March, valued at $300 million, which does not seem like a big thing anymore because everything is now valued at billions of dollars. When you have a great big hyped IPO, so but still, again, for the market and uh, everything surrounding it, that was kind of a big deal. And uh, they were looking to raise, I believe, twenty-five million dollars just to get it off the ground. Again, sounds like chump change now, but <laughs> except for those of us who are in Silicon Valley billionaires, I guess. So that was uh, that was like the first Kickstarter breakout success. Right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Didn't that Yo app raise more money? Yeah, than the 3DO. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Any users of Yo here? Good? No. Okay. And then, of course, the console was launched in October of 93. Here's a little quote I dug up from the Wall Street Journal. Somebody saying, I give it a 50% chance of working and 25% chance of being the next standard entertainment platform. It's not stock for widows and orphans. What it is is a bet on a company that might become the next Nintendo. Big capital letters, triple underlined, might. <laughs> But they did a pretty good job, all things considered. Now, when I say people were hyped for it, of course, I do mean, you know, people like that guy in the quote there, movers and shakers in the tech industry, investor guys, stockholders, potentially, people who would really care about the money potential of something like the 3DO as being this new paradigm, as I keep saying. I mean, yes, there were us. There were the gamers who knew about the 3DO, and we were also getting hyped about it because it was promising new graphics and all that other cool stuff. Um, especially in the 90s when, you know, polygon graphics were just becoming to be a real mainstream thing and this offered, you know, crazy texture map graphics and all that stuff. So this is the next one. We all know what's coming up here, right? The price. The price of the 3DO. Everybody ready? Fake drum roll, please. <laughs> here we go. 699 US dollars. MSRP. And that yeah. was that was when Trip Hawkins recommended everyone get a second job so they could afford the system, right? Not quite, no. no. All right. Uh, for, before I go any farther, raise your hands. If anybody here ever bought a 3DO at full price, launch day, any hands? No? Nobody. All right. Ray, I crunched some numbers. Oh, you weren't even born yet? Gosh, all right. Wow. Well. Ray, I crunched some numbers earlier today, and I found yes. out what the price of this would be in, in 20, 2014 dollars. Mm -hmm. That's about $1,200. Yeah. For a game console. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, people say, why? Why could this have possibly been $699? Was it just hubris? Was it just maybe a high cost of parts? Well, I don't really know, but I, I mean, I didn't know until I had to trip off and explain it himself. I think one of the uh, errors in judgment that I made was I thought, well, hey, uh, the VCR, everybody paid $500 or $1,000 for a VCR, and they, they pay $500 plus for a TV or for a hi-fi system. This is going to be a multimedia uh, system. It's certainly worth that much. You know, you fast forward to today. I mean, uh, Apple just introduced a new, a new version of the uh, iPad that costs $500. Yeah. But uh, clearly that said, two things were true. Number one, it, it just wasn't powerful enough to really get that kind of a price tag. And then uh, secondly, people really didn't understand why they would want one. Yeah. 
You know, so the only application that had a developed market was console-type video games, and that market was accustomed to paying $200 or less. So basically, the 3DO really didn't have much but games, and that's basically how everybody viewed it as a game console. And by the way, it's a great interview he did last fall at the uh, Computer History Museum in uh, the Bay Area, and uh, you can look at that, look for that on YouTube. We'll probably link to it later on the uh, website. It's good stuff. Long interview goes through his whole history. So, of course, it is silly though. I guess I don't know. Would you have paid that much for a stereo in '93? <laughs> I don't really know. But uh, so, like I said, it only had nothing but games. Really, I mean, it barely had movies. It had interactive experiences. Of course, it could support full motion video, but a lot of that stuff was just like laserdisc game ports and, and things of that nature. And like I said, nobody really had a burgeoning collection of photo CDs. I don't think, and so you know, nobody ever really saw the 3DO as anything but a game machine. And I think that's something you know, along with the all, all the extra promises that Trip was making about network stuff and whatever else could it become. I mean, you saw that a lot with game consoles leading up to, like, the PS2, especially, you know, they have the big announcement, and then they'll make a sub-announcement the next day, maybe, of all the things they say will come to the console, but really might. Might be a camera, a modem, keyboard, you know, meat slicer, whatever else can plug into that thing, VR helmets, sewing machines, you know, you name it. Everybody's going to announce it because they want to be on the forefront of all this. Yeah, and, you know, this this actually is kind of a, a, a an ongoing theme throughout gaming history. We just published an Intellivision episode, and we talked about how Mattel was sued by the, or fined by, who was it, the FTC, mm-hmm. for uh, promising that they would offer a keyboard and computer expansion for the Intellivision that never materialized. Mm-hmm. These kind of vapor promises, I think, are are a running theme throughout the, the history of the medium. And, of course, consoles still sort of do that thing, is that they add too many features. That, I mean, look at the first model of PS3. Anybody plugging in complex fl- flashcards into their PS3 lately? Yeah, you remember the first PS3? I had all these uh, uh, memory card slots in the front. Flip it up. Go look at your slideshows or whatnot. Didn't it have like eight USB ports? I had to, to be able to get it in at five hundred ninety-nine US dollars. They had to cut a few of those features. Yeah, they learned something from 3DO. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so let me put this question to you, Ray. Yeah. Why do you think people would perceive a stereo as a stereo? And something like the 3DO as a game system. Do you think it was because of the controller? Like, does that peg yeah. a device as a game system? Because it, it, it could have been, you know, like it was a sort of simple black box that people put under their televisions. Mm-hmm. If I think if it had come with a remote control, do you think that would have made a difference in the public perception? It may have done something. I mean, it also boils down to, like, you know, the, sending out the actual marketing message. And a lot of the marketing for 3DO always highlighted these hot blaze of new graphics in these games and such. But uh, CDI was before this, right? Yeah. Uh, it had a remote, right? Just a regular remote. With, yeah. With, like, some kind of gamepad, like, glued onto it or whatever. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't think that really convinced anyone. Yeah, you know, pretty much. Ultimately. Well, that was also just a terrible platform. Oh, yeah. 3DO had that some things good for it, going going for it, I would say. But, yeah. Sorry, we have a comment from the audience. Yes, sir. What could you do with it besides play video games? Was there any decent software for it? Any non-game software? Not really. Again, probably different with the CDI is that they did try and release some. Yeah, the, other, the CDI had a lot yeah. of non-game applications and 3D- some that were like edutainment. Yeah. Of course, uh, 3DO had uh, plenty of software pornography. If you're into that as well. Sort of games for one player. <laughs> Uh, okay, another quick question. 
By the way, this is not a live Q&A show. I once heard that it was $5.99 at launch. Yes, and that was a point I was going to make, is that they did pretty quickly drop the price. Not like a week after anything, but, you know, I think after the fall launch and after Christmas sort of happened, you know, uh, it wasn't really going well for the retailers, so the price was cut pretty, 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 pretty quickly. And so, of course, from that, we have basically the 3DO struggle after its launch. The market, there was a marketing refresh after that and later in 94 because, you know, everybody was thinking of it as a game console, so they just went ahead and pushed harder on the fact that, yes, it's a brand new game console, isn't it great? And so, uh, Panasonic carried a lot of that. Uh, they were doing a lot of advertising. They published a lot of 3DO games that were pretty good as well. And so, they were really just carrying a load like that. And of course, we have stuff like this, uh, excerpt from an ad I found, the Gold Star 3DO for $300. Again, that's the, Basically, somewhat agreed upon console price point. I mean, sure, that was, that was actually uh, quite a bit even for 93, 94, but I think maybe, you know, people would still look at it as an advanced thing and go, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I can pay $400 for that. And look, it comes with two free games. So that happened a lot too. <laughs> Bundling. Bundling happens a lot when you try to add value to those things. And so, I, but after that, in early 94, the 3DO was launched in Japan. And it was not quite the gigantic failure you might think. You being so cynical, yes, I'm looking at you. I mean, you might think it would be overshadowed by the PlayStation and Saturn in, like, lickety-split. And, well, I guess in a way it was, but, you know, they had some lead time. And uh, the 3DO did get some decent support from Japanese uh, developers and publishers. Again, a lot of that was due to the openness of the platform. I mean, it wasn't quite a PC, but you could basically code for 3DO and just have it run on the disc. In fact, I mean, this being an early CD-ROM system, you can right now just run backups on it, import games, but there's no restrictions whatsoever on it. Um, I think it uh, wasn't a lot of the uh, a lot of the porn games that you mentioned weren't mm-hmm. those from Japan. Well, not all from Japan, but that was a, that was <laughs> it, it. The 3DO did lend a good inroad to those types of uh, publishers. Ahem, ahem. And yet, it didn't succeed as a platform. I thought that was I thought porn was mm. the. Uh, the secret I, to a platform success. I know, right? Who knows? So confused. Someone's holding up. <laughs> Sorry, lights are down. Oh, Blonde Justice, yes. What? <laughs> Is that a Lifetime movie or a 3DO game? <laughs> oh, yes, from Vivid Interactive. Vivid, the porn movie. publisher, they publish a lot of interactive 3DO games. Okay, I don't want to touch this anymore. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> That was very brave of you, sir. <laughs> Please tell me you bought that today. No. Okay, that's all I need to know. <laughs> I dad owned a Panasonic store. <laughs> oh, all right. Fine. You're off the hook, kind of. Dad owned a store. All right. All right. You have some cool things to show us. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll just criticize your dad instead. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, like I said, the, they didn't do too bad in Japan. That was probably due to the Panasonic's push, because, you know, uh, imagine if... No, you don't have to imagine, because Microsoft released the Xbox in Japan and pretty much tanked every single time. Uh, 360 did a little bit better than the first one. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But, I mean, you know, that's sort of... I don't know. I don't want to get in a whole philosophical discussion, but there's a sort of that cultural perception of it being a Japanese company making the 3DO as opposed to a clearly American company making the Xbox. But I think even the 3DO had a presence in Japan that wasn't really met by the Xbox, even with the 360. I mean, there were more interesting Japanese games for the 3DO, I would say. 
and I don't want to make two declarative statements because I know I'll just get shot down. And I'm gonna have to apologize and do another panel next year and say, no, I know we talk, I know we talk crap about 3DO. Sorry. No. Anyway, no more questions. This is important. Next, I actually want to show you the Japanese 3DO launch commercial that aired on television. Keep watch for the special guest. リアルな三度。It's I think I recognize the special guests. <laughs> Do you? Uh, members of the Aryan Nation. Yes. At the end. The 3DO is for everybody in your white family from the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yes. It plugs into the future, everybody. And so that's what Panasonic let out with. Um, and, of course, the things that Tripp was saying there were the things that he was saying since the launch of the system. Now, here's what here's the meat of the show here. I wanted to talk about eight notable 3DO games, and I'm sure we'll mention a few others. Bob, you, you, you were talking to me. You were talking my ear off about all sorts of games today. So uh, this is just a jumble of games. This is not every single thing we all loved and remembered about the 3DO, but just some good ones mixed in with some historically notable ones. You know, I'll just go ahead and chat about them for a little bit. First up, Lucien's Quest is this first one that I wanted to talk about. This is like the first somewhat only JRPG for the 3DO, and it was localized in English. Um, published by Panasonic, developed by, uh, <laughs> uh, Microcabin, that's right. Microcabin, they also, before that, they made, uh, Guardians, uh, Guardians Saga, Guardians Quest, uh, whatever it was, Guardian something. Guardian Wars, yes, thank you, for 3DO, which was, uh, also an RPG, more of a strategy RPG, not quite the straight up trope filled thing that, uh, this was exactly. Um, but they did have some strategic elements to it. You can see the battles, uh, were grid based. And, uh, and all the other JRPG things, things that we love, like Blue Windows. Yeah, this is like a, a kind of, uh, really rough looking prototype for Suikoden almost. Yeah, it does look pretty rough. And that's actually like a hallmark, <laughs> and not the best hallmark, but it is one of like a lot of 3DO games is that some of them ran kind of choppily. And, uh, I believe this was ported or semi remade for the other 32 bit consoles. And so it got a little bit enhanced, but, uh, it showed up first on 3DO. And, uh, yeah, it is kind of odd, you know, just see, like, this grid-based world, especially, like, it's just, it's Squaresville. <laughs> like, literally, everything is a square and just, you know. But, yeah, it's pretty neat, I think. So, it's slow, but it's a nice curiosity. One of the one of the very few RPGs you could find on 3DO, and, you know. Hey, if it has an RPG, that means it's going to be a hit in Japan, right? <clears throat> All right, next up, uh, one of the highlights of my personal 3DO world, I guess, is Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. This, uh, you know, to the naked eye, this was arcade perfect. I mean, before that was Super Street Fighter 2 on the Genesis and Super NES. Not quite as good as the original arcade version because Super SF2 was made for their, uh, Capcom CPS2 board, which was uh, enhanced over the original Street Fighter 2s. 
And so I remember just being hyped for this for years and years. This is this is basically my reason to get a 3DO. I, I didn't end up getting one for obvious reasons, price being that. But uh, you know, Super Street Fighter 2, again, it made a bunch of money to begin with on the 16-bit. And then they brought it 3DO, just sort of out of nowhere. But uh, this was produced by Capcom, I believe, because um, uh, I just bring that up because Crystal Dynamics ported Samurai Showdown to 3DO earlier. And uh, Capcom was also going to make Mega Man X3 for the 3DO. Uh, they canceled it, but uh, it's the same as that enhanced uh, Saturn and PlayStation, maybe just Saturn port of X3. It was on PlayStation 2. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's Street Fighter 2. I think we all, yeah, we all know about that. It was a very good port, and uh, yeah, really one of the highlights of the system. Next is another great highlight is uh, Return Fire. And uh, I always saw this brought up a lot in like as like the killer app sort of the 3DO, especially when it came out, and like all the magazines were always talking about it a lot. So this is like a capture the flag type game, uh, RTS-ish in a bit, but you can see you just run around these uh, uh, war zones and try and uh, capture the other guy's base. So like I said, it was trumpeted by the media, at least, you know, as far as I remember it. And um, because of that, this is like the other reason I wanted a 3DO. So right. everybody brings this up a lot. Oh, uh, I don't know if you're going to mention this, but one of the like novelty factors I think most people remember is the fact that he used classical music. Oh, yes, um, yes. For every vehicle, a different like classical music song. And the helicopter was obviously Flight of the Bumblebees. Flight yeah, of the Bumblebee, yeah. sorry. Valkyries. Yeah, uh, right of the Valkyries. Is oh, the it was that. Yeah, one of them was Flight of the Bumblebee then. I can't remember. I believe it's both. Hmm. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of great... Uh, classical stuff. It's like, you know, you can pretend to be Patton. It's great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, people bring it up. Really great competitive stuff. I think, you know, sort of in the same league that, or in the same terms that people bring up like Herzog's Y for the Genesis. Like this is like a great two-player compa- competitive battle game. Um, next up is Total Eclipse. Uh, this is a fairly early game, again, by Crystal Dynamics. And, you know, I'm not sure how the planet surface shoot 'em up really became a thing in the 32-bit era. But here's one of the first examples. I mean, I, I'm not even like Star Fox, but like just the fact that you're roaming along this planet, you're not far off the surface, but the planet is just, you know, full of all these peaks and valleys and stuff. Uh, that's, that became a thing. Later they made Solar Eclipse and EA made a game called Shockwave that was very similar to this. Even like uh, later things like Warhawk were somewhat similar. And so <laughs> this, uh, and because of that, this became like a Hallmark game for some reason. It was showed off a lot in the, I think we saw it in the Japanese commercial there. And it's like, it showed off quite a bit. How, how would you say this game compares to Cybermorph? Oh yeah, Cybermorph. Can God, you, can I totally you see forgot. the people in the buildings waving at you? Yeah, yeah. Because that was a Cybermorph uh, special. No, I don't feature. think it has that. But yeah, sorry, I totally forgot to bring up Cybermorph as well. Yeah, that, <laughs> I don't know why this became a genre necessarily. I guess just because it's a way to show off 3D, basically, right? Not some different peaks and valleys. And of course, it came from Crystal Dynamics, who made you know pretty much every 3DO game, <laughs> it seems like. Uh, yeah, not actually not that bad of a game either. Pretty simple looking. Uh, this sequence we're seeing, seeing right now looks kind of like Galaxy Force 2. Uh, next, Blade Force. This was from Studio 3DO, which was 3DO's internal development studio that they set up after the launch of the console. Um, seems like they should have done something like that at the start. I don't know. Seems weird, but uh, yeah. Uh, this is actually not, not a bad game either. It's a third-person shooter where you're a guy in a helicopter suit. So basically, Robocop with a helicopter, imagine that. And uh, yeah, this is pretty graphically impressive for the system. I mean, you know, a lot of, lots of free-roaming 3D here, uh, of course. And, of yep, someone mentioned lots of texture mapping, and that is definitely true. I mean, look at this thing. This is... Yeah, I don't know if it looks awkward necessarily. I think... Uh, so I have to admit that I'm I'm a complete newcomer to the 3DO universe, yes. having 
totally passed it by. But, you know, watching these games in action, it, it doesn't compare too unfavorably to the Saturn or even to the early PlayStation mm-hmm. stuff. Like, keep in mind. Logically, it's not that terrible. Yeah. Not really. But, I mean, uh, also, it, I have some low quality video I'm playing here off YouTube, most of it. So <laughs> keep that in mind as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, come on. Helicopter suit guy shooting things up. Bitchin' cannot begin to describe it. It's pretty much a mask video game. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> you ever to tell people what mask is? You know? uh, I don't even remember. Uh, a toy. No, no, not Aerosol. Come on. Mobile Action Strike Command. That was it. Yes. All right. Next, Star Control 2. Now, you might not think this would be brought up a lot in people's favorite 3DO games, but it is. I mean, it is a PC classic. But it came to 3DO as one of the, uh, I believe the only console port, and it really gained some clout there. And it still does. It's like one of people's top favorite games for it. Now, of course, this is uh, one of those uh, space exploration slash diplomacy trading games. Um, but it was greatly improved over the original because that's all I ever hear people talking about is Star Control 2 and not Star Control 1. But uh, because it was on 3DO and I think connected with so many people, I mean, it probably just introduced a large number of people to that whole uh, space exploration genre, which is made so... Uh, popular on the PC. This is not the best clip. <laughs> Lots of uh, somewhat boring planet scanning, but uh, you know, if you've seen Star Control before, you know, it's a very good 3DO port, and people liked it quite a bit. Next, of course, everybody's favorite uh, 3DO killer app, Road Rash. Uh, this was EA's sort of reboot before there were reboots of Road Rash. Uh, of course, it showed up on the Genesis first, and uh, that it was also popular there. But people really uh, were hyped for the 3DO version and really enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, it really is generally regarded as one of, if not the best, 3DO game. It's kind of a racing game, but you, uh, if you're not too familiar with Road Rash, racing game where you can also uh, punch and kick guys that you're racing next to. And, uh, yeah, so the big thing for 3DO was, of course, the 3D graphics. You had these uh, digitized characters, uh, some goofy cutscenes as well. I uh, probably won't see them in the clip in this time, but, I mean, lots of just uh, really extreme-looking, like, FMV clips of, you know, to try and get you into the story of Road Rash, whatever it is. And people like those as well, and they are still kind of good in, in an ironic sense. Um, those movies, actually, like, they were so creatively shot that, you know, you, they almost hold up. Because <laughs> they use a lot of, like, different fisheye effects and color filters and stuff. Thing, I mean, as opposed to, like, any other FMV game where it's like, oh, shoot the bad guy running in front of you and yelling at you. No, I mean, this is a bit different. Um but as a game, it's actually pretty competent. Of course, uh, it is a bit choppy because it's on for 3DO, but hey, that did not stop it from really just reaching the top, basically. And so I think, you know, if someone, if you ask someone, hey, what 3DO game should I get? Someone's always going to say Road Rash, no matter what. And Star Control 2, but that's different. Yes, yeah, someone's mentioning the soundtrack. That's right. Very, very, it was a great early example of EA licensing a bunch of popular music for a extreme racing game. And finally, the one I was going to mention, uh, we will get to some more, but as far as videos, Captain Quasar, seem, I know, seems like a bit of an odd choice, but this is actually a top-down, this is actually not that bad a game, it's a top-down cartoony shooter, you play as this dim-witted space cop, Captain Quasar, um, and just mow down bad guys, I mean, it's, it doesn't look that great, but I think it is better than it looks, and you know, it personally reminds me of Zombies Ate My Neighbors, not exactly, I'm not saying it's a one-to-one thing, but... Uh, it does have, you know, that sort of running and shooting elements. Was this was this UK developed? It it looks like the secret sequel to a Spectrum game of some uh, sort. I believe it was made by Studio 3DO, so at least in California. Maybe it was contracted out with somebody else. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was actually, you know, released in 96. So this was like released in the final year of the 3DO's life, basically. And uh, 
This also is uh, visually similar to The Horde, uh, which people bring up a lot in favorite 3DO games as well. Bob, are you telling me you played that? You the did, Horde? Yeah. No, I, I'm just a big Kirk Cameron fan. Oh, okay. Thank you. Just... That was a joke. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to play. It looked yeah, good. Love that god. Not, not, not much to say about it. I'm not saying it's a great, uh, excellent example of 3DO <laughs> technology or anything, but it is a fun little action game to pick up if you ever see it. So, of course, tons more 3DO games to talk about. In fact, uh, this is someone's complete 3DO library, yes. Uh, may God have mercy on them. Uh, so, Bob, you were talking to me today oh, about yeah. a game and some other stuff. Uh, first sure. of all, actually, you were telling me uh, you knew two people who had a 3DO That's right. when you were uh, a kid. Trip Hawkins never could have guessed that uh, one of the biggest demographics for the 3DO would be Catholic teenagers. Yeah. Uh, I went to a Catholic school. And... Well, we saw the Japanese commercial. Oh, that's right. Those, <laughs> well, who I couldn't were those? tell. They look like Methodists to me, but uh, <laughs> okay, I, can't, yeah, I need yeah. to take their blood to, yeah, to check. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, in my in my grade school, uh, it was a very small class of maybe like 14 kids, and two of those kids had 3DOs, which was an amazing like yeah. percentage of one classroom. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure uh, you need a sample size of 300 to be scientifically accurate, but still, right. not well, bad. Proportionally speaking, yeah, that's a big um, Yeah, so one of the games... <laughs> I like to play a lot was uh, Twisted, the game show. Mm-hmm. Essentially, like a uh, imagine like humor on MTV in 1994, like sneering Gen X, like somewhat subversive humor. I mean, like it's basically Mario Party, but uh, instead of playing as Mario characters, you play as one of six hilarious stereotypes. There's like a televangelist, a used car salesman, a an Asian version of the Fonz. <laughs> um, I'm not making this up. Uh, there's also oh, like a liquid television party. Yeah, it's like Liquid Television Party. Um, and there's also like a drill sergeant and a vaguely racist fe- uh, Pez dispenser with just the guy uh, doing an Apu-, an Apu voice. Okay. And essentially, it's just like a party game. Um, the clips uh, get kind of old. There's not a lot of clips to go around. But mm-hmm. um, you essentially just play like mini games and go around a board. And there are really funny little commercials in it. I recommend you look those up. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, just a fun little party game. Kinda and then like there was it. another one. Uh, you know the name of it, Ray. It was like the Russian-themed. Uh, let's yeah, make fun of Russia. Most. Yeah. The People's Party. Yeah, I know nothing about it, but I like the idea of just, like, th- that limited of humor yeah. applied to an entire game. Uh, there was also, like, a somewhat similar game called Station Invasion. Uh, that was geared more towards kids, I guess, or it was at least more kid-friendly. Not, yeah. Maybe yeah. not quite as racist, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and apparently, I guess, Trip Hawkins really believed in Twisted because I, I was just reading, his, yeah. he was, like, really involved in the development of that game. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you go online on YouTube, yeah. you can watch an entire playthrough, see, like, every clip. There's maybe, like, an hour and a half worth of video, and it's pretty yeah. funny. You know. I've seen at least one copy here out on the floor. Nice. We did, we did not snatch it up. We're not we're not taking Retronauts dibs. If anyone wants to check out Twisted, it's in one of those booths there. Uh, side note: Trip Hawkins uh, did believe in a lot of games. <laughs> okay. In fact, I remember anecdotes like uh, later years, 3DO when they were just like doing it as third, when they were just being a third party publisher. Like he cared a little too much about Portal Runner. Which was the Army Men action game spinoff, mm. <laughs> which was a terrible game by all accounts. But he would like send letters to like the media and just be generally upset about it. And <laughs> That's a very odd pet project. Uh, yeah, I know. It seems <laughs> I'm gonna put my money behind Space Hulk. Yeah, number one. It seems like there's so many better things to get attached to in the 3DO years, and then you know be attached to like that. <laughs> Who cares? But then again, you know, Army Men was at 3DO's big money maker post the console. So I mean. I guess he was attached to it in multiple ways in one. Yeah, I mean, Portal Runner was kind of their attempt to take Army Men into the Tomb Raider space, right? Yeah. Give it a female protagonist and yeah. let her run around and shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe <laughs> he just missed the boat a little bit. Yeah. 
so what are some other notable 3DO games off the top of my head, uh, especially uh, D and a lot of the other stuff made by Warp? Of course, if you know me, I, I write a game history magazine scroll, and I just did an issue on Warp. And so that sort of led in like this side interest into the 3DO history. And so... Uh, Warp started out on 3DO. They made like three, four games, four or five, uh, before moving on. And, uh, yeah, D and just other wacky stuff like uh, Short Warp and, uh, Megados, all these other things that you can see in my magazine available now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they were one of the companies that had a home on 3DO, much like Crystal Dynamics did as well and some other people. And so, you know, I mean, like I said, it was not a super open platform like the PC, but it did give people a lot of opportunity to get a game out there on the market. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? Uh, there's some good puzzlers. Uh, Icebreaker, I see mentioned a lot. That's a nice puzzle game. I think I saw that out on the floor as well. Um, let's see. Of course, we mentioned like the game show stuff. I don't know. Uh, someone else, anybody, any, any favorite 3DO games? Yell them out. Homers don't wear ties. Thank you. You're pleased to leave. <laughs> Yes. All right. Yes. You really have to go online. Wait, and, oh, let me introduce this properly. Okay. It is now time to talk about plumbers who don't wear ties. Okay. <laughs> if it's it's sort of like softcore in a way. It's like cheesecake kind of stuff. But if you go There's and nipples. watch this um, game like on YouTube, it, it's barely a game. It's like yes. they sold this as a product. It's hard to believe. It looks yes. like like a PowerPoint presentation. It, right. If I made this into a game, that's plumbers where don't wear ties. Yeah. Essentially. Three D O the history of the game by Ray Barnold. Yeah. That's what that's what it is. Uh, so yeah, it's basically just yeah, it's still photo. It's. <laughs> It's a photo CD. Yeah, pl- please look it up on YouTube. It's they were amazing. harnessing the photo CD technology to make plumbers don't wear ties. And bad, yeah, also bad voice acting as well. Just corny, like, sub-jerky boys voice acting. <laughs> Craziness. Uh, yeah. Please, if you haven't yet, find it on YouTube or something. It is one of, is the crown jewel of the 3DO crap crown, basically. If I think these are notable, no, that's, this is the opposite, but it is a great, great ironic romp. Um, let's see. Anybody else? Shockwave? I did mention Shockwave. Yeah, that's right. That's another one of the uh, planetary shooter things. Uh, also by EA. Not, not a bad game either. Yeah, that's the thing also is that it was just cool that e- Trip managed to get EA to get on board to, uh, for his new thing. And so they released a bunch of different games. They released, uh, sports games. FIFA and Madden and all that stuff. So yeah. Also, uh, Police Knots made it to 3DO. Yeah. Konami game. It, it's their only 3DO game apparently? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just a very strange, um, and it had extra content. Um, on the 3DO yeah. version, yeah. I mean, yeah, we also did a Police Knots episode, but that was based on, you know, the PlayStation version, but I think before that was a 3DO, so this, that was like the first version of the, the anime remake version of uh, right. Police Knots. Just, there's one uh, Hideo Kojima game for 3DO then. Yep. That, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he went from MSX to 3DO. <laughs> um, and yeah, let's see what else is in this really pile. Really betting here. on the right horses there. Uh, of course, there was also Gex. I mean, Gex ended up ported to everything and then sequels on PlayStation, but did start on 3DO. That is the mascot platformer with the little gecko voiced by Dana Gould and his great Mystery Science Theater type referential, referential humor. And yeah, again, Crystal Dynamics made so much stuff. Again, as I mentioned, also, they did port Samurai Showdown, and there's some, there's some cool anecdotes about that development on the internet as well. Um, yes, one more. Um, I never own it, but however, I believe Naughty Dog produced a game for this that's generally regarded as one of the better free fighting games for it. Way of the Warrior. Yes, Way of the Warrior. I don't know about better, but <laughs> uh, they did make yeah, basically a Mortal Kombat style game called Way of the Warrior. They right. uh, yes, sir. Uh, did that have secret boobs in it, or was that Rings of Power? That was Rings of Power. Okay, man, I thought the boobs would be on the 3DO <laughs> of any platform. Someone in the audience beat me yeah. to that. Uh, yeah, so uh, th- that. I remember reading, like, they had a huge feature in, uh, 
video games magazine, what would become Tips and Tricks, just like this giant making of feature of Way of the Warrior. And it was basically just, you know, uh, Jason Rubin and uh, cohorts just getting all their friends in their apartment and just shooting them against blue screens. And just doing that for like weeks and weeks on end in like this steaming hot apartment trying to make a, a Mortal Kombat clone. Craziness. Craziness. And yeah, they were pretty dedicated. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, that game kind of spooked me as a kid. <laughs> it, had some, it was a bit too gory, I think. Didn't really quite, quite fit in. It what quite about Killing time. time? Wasn't that even worse? Is that the one with like the parts just flew off of bodies? Or am I thinking of Time Killers? God, all of these games. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. There's a, there's Killing Time in FPS. Uh, there's PO'd, which is also a bit more of a toilet humor type FPS. Right. Yeah. My friend with that game called it Poid. <laughs> she didn't understand what it stood for. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jeez. 3DO, 3DO was also a great place to get uh, ports of the American laser games like gun shooters, like Mad Dog McCree. They did that a lot. Uh, uh, Crime Patrol was a good one. Yeah, Who Shot Johnny Rock? Space Pirates. I'm sorry? Snow Job. No, that was Studio 3DO. That was not that that was not a light gun game. Yeah, but yeah, apparently uh, American Laser Games found their home on 3DO as well. Night Trap was also on 3DO, an enhanced port, because of course 3DO could play uh, MPEG video, I believe, in uh, you know, just greater quality than the Sega CD stuff. Yes, back there? Question? So the question was, uh, did the, did its failure, you know, was that partly because it didn't have really an iconic character or any sort of like top game for it? I mean, there was Gex and there was that immediate reaction by the media. It's like, oh yeah, Gex is there, Mario or whatever. And that was like the closest possible thing they could have gotten to a mascot game. But then Gex was ported to like everything else. And so it didn't really work out. So, I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> it's also kind of why we're talking about this now. It's like, where, what is the iconic 3DO game really? Besides Road Rash, I guess, because that's the one people mention the most, apparently. Um, and of course, I tried to mention these other seven games here to try and help things out. Yes, another comment? Space Ace and Dragon's Lair? Uh, did who do it? You mean? I mean, there were. Oh, yeah, totally. Yep, absolutely. In fact, uh, again, over here at the arcade at Too Many Games, there's a 3DO setup with Dragon's Lair. <laughs> uh I, I would I would recommend go go buy go buy Twisted put it in there instead play Twisted at the arcade please do us all a favor. <laughs> uh, so yeah I don't know any other comments from uh, Jeremy or Bob? Yeah I mean just kind of looking at the 3DO in this perspective um, from this from this vantage point coming into it not really being familiar with it before this it really feels like this was the dry run for the 32-bit era like everyone mm-hmm. or a lot of publishers not just american yeah. publishers but also japanese developers uh kind of came in here and got their feet wet on 32-bit hardware and then this flopped and nothing really happened with this and then they went over to playstation and saturn and did it yeah. right yeah so it, this is like it was it was almost like 3do kind of giving everyone a practice run it was. I mean, even if it wasn't intentional, it certainly worked out that way. Because, I mean, again, Crystal Dynamics is still around, and they've been around ever since the 3DO, and that's basically where they started, and they made a lot of different great games ever since then. So, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. For them, and I think for a lot of the people, it was sort of like the dry run. Bob? I don't think I was the savviest of 11 to 13-year-olds, but um, <laughs> whenever I went to my friend's house to play this, it was like, just sort of, uh, just sort of like a novelty that we would eventually move away from and play Super Nintendo or Genesis. Like I remember, mm. we play, you know, Shockwave or whatever, and then we go, oh, let's play Yoshi's Island now because yeah. that was over. <laughs> like well. it never, it never seemed as cool as they wanted it to seem to me, and I was pretty much in their prime demographic. So yeah, yeah, 
It didn't work on me, I guess. Well, nothing on 3DO could stand up against Yoshi's Island. Come exactly, on. yeah. <laughs> Let's see, what else? Yeah, no, you guys are right. I was thinking of one other game, and that was like a uh, launch-ish game, uh, Jurassic Park Interactive. Like that was their that was their attempt to like sort of do that whole multimedia blending medium sort of thing, but it was just basically a bunch of crappy Jurassic Park themed mini games. <laughs> not not the greatest thing. I mean, Sega did a much better job even with the Sega CD Jurassic Park game. Um, but, yeah. but you know, for for whatever failures the 3DO represents, it did kind of launch a couple of pretty significant studios. I think Warp got their start on 3DO, didn't they? Yes. Crystal Dynamics. Have you been listening? Uh, (laughs) Right. No, I'm just saying, like, kind of, you know, taking that step back. Sure, sure. Um, It's it's interesting that... Yes. People screaming out Naughty Dog, yes. Naughty Dog. I didn't mean to not include Naughty Dog got their start on Genesis. Uh, Well, I mean, it was like a... It was a steps of things. Got it, got it. But anyway... Yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting that, you know... Yeah. It is a, 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 a studio like Crystal Dynamics is still extant. They're still making Tomb Raider games. Mm-hmm. So the 3DO was good for something. Taking over all. for the people that used to make Tomb Raider. So I mean, right. That's something. I thought of one thing. The 3DO. I did the PlayStation at. It had a more hideous visualizer for its CD player. <laughs> so you know, pop yeah. in your No Doubt Tragic Kingdom CD, eat some Bigfoot pizza, and watch that thing go. Yeah, it's a good. Uh, good afternoon in 1995. Uh, I gotta say that's something you gotta think about when making a 32-bit console. Is the, is the visualizer good? Yeah, it has to be, right? Not even 32-bit today, even still. But yeah, I mean the Jaguar CD had the one made by uh, Jeff Minter, and yeah, that was kind of like the top shelf one at the time. Not the system itself, of course, but the visualizer, folks. That's all. You know, just play some CDs. All right. So as we move on here, just a little bit about the M2. Uh, this was, of course, supposed to be the 64-bit successor to the 3DO, announced in 1995, so two years after the 3DO was on the market. That's kind of like borderline Osborne effect stuff, because, you know, you're not, you kind of announcing the next generation so soon, relatively. Um, announced in 95, 64-bit, as I said, a massive leap in graphics. I mean, to, to, uh, to be completely fair, I mean, it was something that would have blown everybody away. Had there not been so much uh, stiff competition in later years, um, so yeah, announced a week before the first E3, just to frame that for you. Um, so, like I said, the 3DO itself was out for a couple of years. The price had already dropped, but the competition was already there at this time. Of course, PlayStation launched, Saturn launched, uh, and N64 was going to launch. Ultra 64 was supposed to be out in '95. It didn't, but. Uh, I think uh, purely graphically, visually, like the N64 graphics were more in line with the M2. To say nothing of this picture of their prototype controller, which is completely ripped off of the N64 at any means necessary. Uh, I'm sure that went through the lab a few times. Um, so things were getting heated. And, you know, 3DO was not in a great position to begin with. They were not going to make a bunch of big upswings in their history. And so it just kind of took too long to develop. Um but it did have lots of hype. Uh, D2 was the key game for it, pretty much one of the first announced ones, again, uh, made by Warp. Uh, and Warp, who had made D, D, the original D, into sort of like a full motion video adventure game, D2 was supposed to be this grander, sort of almost Zelda-like uh, 3D action game. So it was a big deal for them, but they you know, kind of got crushed under it. And There was lots of work done for this system, and Mat- Mat- Matsushita uh, slash Panasonic was the one taking it on. Like, they were the only company assigned to do M2. They were, it was going to be for real their Panasonic console. Um, but it didn't work out. They canceled it basically in 1997. Speaking of hype, I remember all the magazines just showing the same, maybe three or four screenshots yeah. of a dinosaur. 
And it felt like to me in the mm-hmm. mid-90s how well you could render a dinosaur was the yardstick for technology because, like... Yeah. This, the Jurassic Park effect. Yeah, and I mean, the... Um, the N64 or Ultra 64 uh, commercial or magazine ad was like on September 6th, you'll believe a dinosaur can fly, and it was yeah, yeah, Mario yeah. swinging Bowser around. So right. I felt like we all had dinosaurs on our brain. It's technically a turtle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't have like a lot of great uh, demonstrations of M2 stuff. There's just one slide I wanted to do about it. Uh, but yeah, cancel in 1997 after they did all this work. I mean, these are picture. I have a picture of a prototype controller and a prototype system here. Like these were pretty much, you know, done just technically, and they were ready to go. Uh, but it didn't really work out, and hardly anything was made for it. I think, you know, aside from, like, D2 and some other graphical demos that people found on dem- dev kits, there was, like, one other game called uh, IMSA Racing, which was just, like, you know, a racing game, right? Not that big of a deal. But uh, it, it did have some promise at the time, and the graphics were pretty good. I mean, uh, probably even, like... <laughs> past the N64 level. I don't know. I don't want to get into 90, I don't want to get into 90s console wars already, but you know, it, it was, it had some promise, but it did not work out, unfortunately. However, the technology stuck around. I mean, it was technically released in like an arcade board and Konami made like four or five arcade games based on the M2, uh, which were released and you can find those, uh, somewhere in some corner of Japan, probably. Um, so you get some uh, display of its power there, but, uh, that's, a, that's the M2. So, and that's uh, pretty much what we're talking about with 3DO here. So where does that leave us? Well, I mean, you know, 3DO was a market failure, sure, but I don't think it was necessarily a platform failure. I mean, you know, we talked, and we've, we've already struggled with the question, was there an iconic 3DO game and whatnot, but I think, you know, initially it wasn't so bad. Trip Hawkins got EA on board. You know, he started an internal dev studio, and they came up with some good stuff. We saw Blade Force. That's a good game. They made some other good stuff. And like we already said, again, it gave rise to places like Crystal Dynamics and Warp, and, you know, it even got some good Japanese support, which was kind of a first for an American-designed console. So, I don't know. It got more than a few good games, too. Road Rash. We talked about several of them already. So I think there have been worse failures out there. And one of them was made by the makers of the 3DO. So, I mean, everybody learns a little something, I'd say. And so... I, I, I think, uh, as Jeremy was saying as well, it was sort of a dry run, run for the 32-bit. Um, but I, I think it could have been much worse. I don't know. Bob, I mean, you seem to have the most experience next to me with this. I mean, what, do, what would you say? Like I said, it was a novelty. It was this thing that you would kind of tinker with. But then you go back to your Nintendo or Sega or whatever for me. So, you know, I mean, it was. I, I was glad it was around, but uh, I never would have bought one or, you know, yeah. was interested. I think it could have been worse as a... As a fantastic legacy to carry yes, on. Right? Resounding endorsement. Could we have said the same if we did one on, say, the links? I don't know. People do love the links, though. That's not, that's not, that's the the links could have been worse. Yes. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> and so, yeah. I think uh, if you do want a 3DO, if you're looking to collect something or just try it out, it's not that bad. And I would say before, you know, try and get the, uh, the slimmer Panasonic model. It's a good one. I think that does it for us for uh, this year, this, this panel, live panel. Thank you, everyone, for coming here. Thanks. <laughs> Extra applause for Jeremy and Bob. <laughs> and yeah, and of course, you know where to find us on the Internet, Retronauts.com, on Twitter, Twitch, and all that good stuff. Get a free John Madden football and crash and burn when you buy a 3DO system.